Hey everyone, welcome to the Worship Artistry Podcast post-election special. Daniel, what's up? Woohoo! What's happening? We're live. The, the only post-election special that promises to not talk at all about politics. You can deal with that elsewhere. We're going to talk about something much bigger today, Daniel. Yes, what is that? Uh, we are going to talk about worship. Imagine that. Worship. Fancy that. On the Worship that. Artistry Podcast. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I'm really excited about today. We have um, actually my old friend who uh, was formerly my worship pastor uh, quite some time ago. I can't really do math, but it was a long time ago. And uh, he has actually written a book called Bigger. Maybe our worship is just too small. Well, that sounds like a good uh, subject. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, the thing about when you have somebody, when you have a friend reach out to you, and it's not like we like hang out all the time. We talk on Facebook every once in a while. But when you have somebody to reach out and say, hey, check out my my audio book. I'd just be curious to see what you think. You're automatically thinking, oh, I'm going to have to listen to this whole audio book. And, and then, then I'm tell to him I like, hate it. <laughs> pretty much. In, pretty in words much. that make him think I love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, wow, I, yeah, I, I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so nice work. You said to him, man, I've never heard an audio book like that in my life before. And he goes, oh, thank you. And you, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, to my pleasant uh, surprise, it actually was really good. Wow. Um, it spoke in a, in a lot of things. You know, what really what he's, he's approaching is he comes at it with an urgency of that our picture of worship is just it's too small mm. and really calls us to something that's that's much bigger and he does a great job of just staying in that kind of you know 10,000 foot view where he t- takes it from this really macro level and then all the way to the end of the book kind mm-hmm. of brings you down into like really detail i de- detail oriented ideas without saying do this but saying hey this is kind of how you can frame these conversations in your church so whether you're somebody who's trying to to move on from something or whether you're trying to deal with people who are complaining about what you're doing or whether you're just trying to expand your congregation's idea of what worship and our gathering is meant to be. This is just a a fantastic read. So I was really excited to get to talk with them. Exciting. I can't wait to read the book. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or listen to it. Yeah. Read it with my ears. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, we're going to take a short break and we're going to hear from somebody, Daniel, I think you're going to be kind of excited to hear from, and then we'll be on to Wayne Stewart. Is it Santa Claus? (laughs) Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm from Plainfield, Illinois, and I just want to thank you, Worship Artistry and Daniel, for helping me learn how to play the bass guitar. I'm 50 years old, and I started playing bass two years ago in October. And I now play for a Hesse Unida worship team, and Worship Artistry has helped me immensely to learn songs, to learn how to play, and just want to go thank you to Daniel for all his help. Thank you. And thank you, Michelle. If you want to be on the Worship Artistry podcast, give us a call at 877-545-6888. That's 877-545-6888. And tell us how Worship Artistry has helped you. And if you've never given us a try, Head over to worshipartistry.com and sign up for a free account and get access to our huge library of worship song tutorials for bass, keys, drums, acoustic, and lead guitar. We bring our best by helping you bring yours. Well, I am sitting here, well, I'm sitting like miles and miles, like thousands of miles away from, but looking at my old friend, 
Wayne Stewart. He is the worship and arts pastor at Christ Community Church in Ames, Iowa. And he's also the author of a book, which I just finished reading and loved, called uh, Bigger. Maybe our worship is just too small. And so I'm super stoked to have him on the podcast and uh, just kind of pull out some of the awesome stuff that's in this book. Welcome, Wayne. Thanks. Great to be here with you. So my first question to you is, if I listened to the book on Audible, do I still get to say that I read it? Absolutely. Yeah, that counts. Okay. All right. Tell me about the book. What, why did you write this book? Yeah, the book uh, came out of a desire to help uh, our worship teams in particular here uh, at our church in Ames, Iowa, start thinking about and living out worship in what we were calling sort of a bigger fashion and use that as our foundation for our teams and training and our approach both for sort of uh, discipleship and spiritual growth for them, as well as what we do uh, in our role with our teams here. So were you, were you new at the church in that situation? I was new, yeah. I had come in a, after about a year and a half uh, of an interim here and was stepping into a church that was well-established in the community, doing great stuff. Uh, and we just decided we wanted to start uh, sort, of, sort of from the ideas side of things instead of the uh, um, sort of practical uh, implications of the work that we do week to week. So tell me right off the bat, what does it mean to have bigger worship? Yeah, we try and draw this contrast uh, between something on the smaller end of the spectrum that we, we talk about in a limit of time and sort of this critique. So in breaking away from that, we actually go completely opposite and we say that it's got to start in the heart, right? as opposed to the details of what we do when we gather, the things that I like or don't like about it, um, we're going to start at the heart because we really believe that the Bible teaches that that's the crux of the matter. That even worship done properly, uh, you know, it's really, I think it's a great illustration that in the Old Testament, there are a number of examples of people doing worship right uh, on the exterior. Mm -hmm. And yet God's saying, nah, I, I won't have any of this. As a matter of fact, at one point he just says, let's close up the temple doors, right? Because this is not, not happening. So we have to start at the heart. Um, so our description really does this, then it, it, it has an inside out trajectory. It starts with the idea that it's the inward orientation and the inward orientation of what? Well, it's the inward orientation of all of our hearts, reverence and affections for God. So we try and create two categories broadly there that talk about this idea of sort of this honor uh, uh, of the greatness and the holiness and the majesty and the wonder of God. But then, um, sort of this connection of him as father that we we really get as well in scripture. And so dealing with the sometimes tension of those things, but trying to grow in both of them. So it's a heart that's filled with reverence and affections for God, but it, it naturally makes its way out then into three things we say, and that gen generally is words, choices, and actions. And the words category is essentially how we speak, how we sing, how we pray, the things that we declare and proclaim in our life, both as a gathered body of, of people, as well as throughout you know, the, the other hours uh, of our week. Choices is interesting because people will say, um, well, isn't choices you know, just sort of the thing that happens before actions, right? Um, I think that choices is maybe the place where we actually see the true test of worship because it's in that moment where I'm tempted to sort of do what I want to do as opposed to what God has called me to do, where I really say, you're God and I'm not. I mean, that is the core of the matter, right? If in that moment I have a little bit of clarity of mind to say, you know what, I am not going to do X, fill in the blank. 
I'm not going to think, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to whatever, right? Because it would dishonor God and dishonor those around me. And when I do that, I am worshiping because I'm saying you are on the throne, God, and I am not in the very most basic of ways. So that's why I put the emphasis on choices there as well. So it's words, choices, and then actions. And actions is interesting because it's the area where we sort of are really used to talking about the things like singing and praying and preaching and all the stuff that happens when we gather, right? But then there's this whole other category of actions that's a surprise in the New Testament where uh, the writers of Scripture use the words offering and sacrifice, and they associate it with acts of service and of justice and of kindness and mercy, uh, which is surely a reflection of the God that we're worshiping. So we get this sort of expanded worship that looks like that. So you've got this inward, outward trajectory of reverence and affections that makes its way out into words, choices, and actions. And then it happens both when we gather and when we scatter. And that's really the, the model itself that we're trying to work towards uh, as something that could be bigger than one hour a week or what we don't like or don't what we like or don't like about it. Yeah. So you really in this book, you really pull out a lot of a lot of different things. I, I found myself jotting notes uh, really the whole time as I was listening to it, um, which is one of the advantages of listening versus reading. Just yeah. saying you got free hands and free eyes. Um, but one of the things that you talk about right from the very beginning is you really set out a, why we gather. Because at first you're talking about, you know, hey, we worship is everywhere. We, we were always worshiping God and like that paradigm that I think mm -hmm. people have gotten uh, much more comfortable with probably over the last, say, 10 years or so. I feel like it, for so long the, the conversation was all about driving people out of the church. Like, no, we got to get you outside. We, it's not all about being here. Worship happens all day. It's not, we're not just Sunday Christians, or as you'd call them, you know, worship one hour on Sunday. You know, it's something that's so much bigger. And now it seems like there's been a little bit of a shift to where now people are like, why do I need to go to church anymore? Right. And this is, you know, year, years later. And I thought you laid out a really great picture of, of both, of that idea of, our worship is uh, is all week, and then we come together on Sunday, and we really kind of celebrate the worship that we've been having all week, and really place an importance on gathering. What drove you to that conclusion? Yeah, I think both on a sort of a personal experience side of things, as well as just taking a look at scripture and the things that sort of popped off the page to me. Uh, you know, biblically, it, it sure seems to me like gathering is God's idea and that it's always been a part of what the people of God are called to. And there's just some special things that happen um, that are significant about the gathering of God's people uh, in a regular rhythm that don't happen in that sort of every other day of the week type of thing. Um, so I, I think the emphasis, again, on the wonder of actually meeting with God, I mean, if that's what it actually is, right? Uh, we can think about it as a group of people coming together, and there's a great uh, there's a number of things that happen with that that are wonderful, especially if we're all on the same page, sort of philosophically, our thinking, our mission, all that kind of stuff. But if it is really meeting with God, then it changes everything, right? And it takes on a whole new significance of importance as well. And it's the it's the people of God meeting with God that is the dynamic that I think if we could reclaim a little bit of that, and especially with respect to the rhythm of what happens then. I mean, what we try and get at in the in the training and in the book is the idea that there's really a deep connection between these things and the rhythm of gathering and then the worship that happens outside the gathering in our personal lives that both look like honor to God and service on behalf of other, others in his name. 
those things are tied together uh, in a powerful, powerful way. And one really leads to the other. How are you seeing your conclusions play out now? And do you look back at those, at your history up to this point and ask the question like, oh man, if I had just done this, maybe that would, maybe things would have been different. Yeah. I think that's what I've liked about this last season of five or six years of uh, starting with these biblical ideas uh, and the way that they play out and then moving from there to structures and details and forms and things like that. Again, I, that's the point of the book really is, is if we start with the details and the forms, we sort of end up in this tailspin and we may get some really good things done, but ultimately we sort of uh, end up living in our own vacuum of culture and time and theology and all those kind of things. But if we start with the ideas first, then I think we have a much better chance of actually walking in unity together through change. And change is inevitable. It, it, it happens. I mean, even in my brief 25, 26-year window, uh, you know, there have been significant shifts, especially in the North American church in terms of approaches to gathered worship. Some of those have been really helpful. Uh, some of them maybe not so much. Uh, but the thing that keeps us moving through those is sort of the rock-bottom ideas about what worship is what it means to us and what it really should be uh, in reference to God as well. Why do you think it's so difficult to start from that place of values? It seems like people always want to speak from the perspective of, I didn't like this song. This one was too loud. Uh, I, I, you know, you're ruining my worship experience or however, <laughs> yeah. however, whatever it happens to be. Why is it so difficult to start on the just basic, well, here's what God says about worship. And here's why we do it. And then kind of build from there. Yeah, uh, I think in part because that requires a disassociation from the uh, deeply held and experienced value of the things that happen in gathered worship. And I think that's the way God designed it. Again, if we're meeting with him and with his people, there's something powerful going on in that time. Um, and if you if you open up this conversation with people and ask them, uh, about certain things that they have sort of a positive or negative inclination towards in gathered worship. What you'll find if you dig a little bit is uh, in their history, there was probably a moment or a season where God was doing something absolutely transformational in them. And it's so positive, And then it gets associated with what was happening in church in gathered worship at that time. And those things become cemented and they become cemented for good reasons. I mean, God is doing great stuff there. But the reality is, is that uh, we need to be able to take just a gentle step back from that and hold things with a bit more of a loose hand if we're going to continue to move forward in unity. Because what happens is that the strength of those things becomes misplaced as an insistence on them for everyone else. Uh, and then we find ourselves in all kinds of battles that we just don't need to be in uh, and ones that, frankly, take us off of mission together. So do you think we're just blowing it? No, I think we're trying to exemplify it as best we can as we go, right? We're, we're trying to do the job that we're, we're called to. We're trying to lead God's people faithfully. Um, but what I, okay, so what I found is the positive strength of the pattern that we've stepped into the last five or six years is that we are just allowing ourselves to take a step back and to say, okay, we love these things that God has planted in our lives, and we can learn to love them for each other as well. But if we're going to continue to move forward with each other through the seasons of change that God has for us and growth and ministry and all of that, we really need to start from that space uh, or we're just going to end up sort of in the details again. And it seems like our, our approach can be at times 
to apply form and structure to solve these problems. Mm -hmm. But that's actually counterintuitive. We, we really can't do that because those forms uh, are not meant to be something that lasts throughout all of Christian history. Uh, and there's a number of reasons we can go into about that. But the reality is, is that worship has always changed and it will always change with respect to gathered worship. And there needs to be a bit of malleability that the church steps into in this to, uh, to just continue to be healthy. You lay out four uh, specific environments that you talk about, like discussion points when you're wanting to walk into this, uh, into any kind of change, right? Whether you're coming into a new church or whether your church is wanting to move in a different direction or just kind of dealing with you lay out four of them on paper. They sound awesome. Have they always just worked so flawlessly? Yeah, no. Um, so what you get in the book is a bit more of a sort of a systematic approach to uh, how to break down some of the conversation into ways that might be helpful for people. And uh, depending on who's in the room and depending on the histories that you're talking about and the amount of sort of conflict that you've got going on, um, the system, as it's stated, may or may not be helpful, right? I mean, labels are, are oftentimes helpful or not helpful depending on the context. But the idea here is again that we often apply sort of the boots through the window SWAT team approach um, to something that is probably more of a parking ticket. Um, but, but we do that again for good reasons because our own history and our experience with the Lord has led us to this sort of depth of, of wonder about these things. Um, but again, if we can step back into these four areas, I think what you're trying to get at is the defense debate conversation and exploration ideas yes. in the back of the book. Yeah, it's sort of trying to recognize again, you know, when to apply these kind of stances and to what. And the summary of this, you know, I mean, a real quick glance at this is the idea of defense is that there are a few things in our faith that we absolutely defend. And historically, that's been the case. We, we sort of have a closed fist about these things. Um, I don't mean that in an aggressive sense. It's just that we have such... Um, uh, we have such consistency of this over time and through scripture that, that we hold on to these things with a, a great deal of strength. Could you uh, give an the, example or two of something like that? Well, yeah, I think historically you could look at any of sort of the three or four points of what would be called Orthodox Christianity throughout 2000 years. You could talk about the deity of Christ. You could talk about the infallibility of scripture. And again, those, those, th even those statements need nuance and unpacking, Right. But there's no argument that for 2,000 years, the majority of Christendom has stood on those things. So those are the things we stand on with, with this sort of defense posture. Um, the debate posture is the next one down the spectrum that opens our hands up a little bit. And that's where we come with some prepared, you know, sort of ideas and inclinations. But, but we're making a presentation and it's something less than a defense posture. And automatically that changes how you and I interact about these things, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to defend something uh, and uh, I feel like you're making an incursion of some sort into this truth area, uh, if I'm going to defend it is very different than me having a debate with you about it. A debate presupposes that there are at least two sides that are coming forward with reasonable arguments and that they should both be heard. Um, the next step is sort of in conversation, and that even moves further down the line of sort of this open-handedness of, well, I've got some perspectives here and some general direction, but I'm actually wanting to maybe learn, <laughs> right? I mean, again, a debate, you're, you don't go to a debate to step up to the podium to learn anything. You go there to present something. Um, so in conversation, we're actually saying, 
as you unpack some of your worship history, I might learn something from you. You know, there might be something I gain here. Uh, and then this last idea is exploration, and that's just super, super open-ended, probably no preparation, but we want to talk about some things. Uh, that's probably profitable to some extent. My, my, own, my own sort of sense of direction in this is that we should live much more in the conversation side of things than debate and defense with respect to the details of gathered worship. That's sort of where we land in the book. It seems like for a lot of those points, you really need to set up somewhat of a, a barrier or somewhat of a, uh, a playing field, if you will, where everyone kind of agrees to the rules. Yeah. Um, because if, you know, if I come in and I, and I'm saying, Hey, we're going to have this open conversation. Let's talk about what can be. And somebody else is treating that like the defense. How do you work through that? Yeah. Um, the, what we've tried to do uh, the last number of years is actually um, do a bunch of groundwork before we get to that spot. And that groundwork really is the first half of the book. Um, you know, it's it's the presupposition that smaller doesn't work with respect to worship, and there's a number of reasons why. Uh, it doesn't match who God is. Uh, it, it doesn't match what he's invited us into, into connection with him and with his people. And it certainly can, at times, take us off track of the mission that we're called to when we end up sort of just dealing with these deal t details all the time and, and tension. So the whole first half of the book then takes us from this idea of smaller to growing into bigger. And, and what we do is we try and build a description of worship that moves away from the limitations of time and what I like or what I don't like about it, right? I mean, our definition of a smaller worship in the book is thinking and living out worship mostly as one hour a week and what I like or don't like about it. Now, we also say in the, in the book that we don't think that anybody anybody I know actually lives at that point, but it's a point to start the the, the discussion at and to say we, we don't want to be even close to there, right? In terms of a limitation of time and the kind of tight-fisted nature of critique, I don't want to live there. So I want to move down the spectrum somewhere towards something bigger. That's why the paradigm sort of plays itself out. So we try and describe something that is bigger in order to actually get to the point where we can have that conversation then with the people in the room about the details of our own gathered worship, you know, sort of locally. Um, it, it has to happen at some point because details have to be determined in order for us to do what we do. Um, and uh, so, but to get there, we try and create a bit more of a conversation. When we do this with our teams, we act, it's a four week conversation. Mm -hmm. So we actually use this book and the converse, the broader conversation as a four week opportunity for a small group of six to 10 people to unpack their worship histories, to go scripturally into this, uh, and then to try and create a little bit more fertile ground for that conversation. Mm -hmm. So how do you cultivate that in your own life, you know, in terms of being a worship and arts pastor? I feel like a lot of times, you know, we're, we're so... We have so much stuff thrown at us. It's like, well, have you done this latest song? We get so caught up in the details and we right. can sit here and go, okay, this is my value. This is where I live. But at the same time, it's like, well, here's the latest magazine and here's the latest book I'm supposed to read. And also I need to go and purchase this thing. And oh, the pastor didn't like that song and I need to change my shirt because he doesn't like that anymore. And oh shoot, the <laughs> sound guy pushed it past, you know, 95 decibels or whatever it needs to be. And now I got to go deal with that. You know, we spend, you, 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 I love your line. You said, let's hope the devil's not in the details. Right. What yeah. You said in the book, um, we get so caught up. I think, I think when I talk to worship pastors and worship musicians, emails I get and everything, it's like, we get so caught up in these little details that mm -hmm. how do you, how do you cultivate that in your own life to stay out of that mire? 
Uh, yeah, so I think on a personal uh, level, uh, I have some flexibility of time here just because of the way that we're structured. Uh, that probably is not something th that uh, other folks in different situations do don't do have, don't have, <laughs> whichever way that works, right? Yeah. Um, so my situation here allows me some time to actually think and pray and study through these things on my own. And so it becomes more of sort of what's in front of me and how I'm thinking about things. Um, but on the programmatic side of things, you know, we, we've just made it a priority so that when people say, hey, I'm raising my flag, I want to be involved in worship and arts ministry. The very first thing that we do is we get together and we have a conversation and just talk about our spiritual histories and get to know each other a little bit. And then the very next thing that we do is we invite them into this four-week conversation. And we say, look, if, you're, if you want to go down this road with us, we really need to open up this conversation together. Um, and so we've just made it a value that we spend that time together. We do these, you know, three or four times a year with the groups of people that come in and are interested in being involved. And the hope is that that's, you know, again, growing this sort of foundation that can leak out from them to others and can leak out in our leading and our service and all those kind of things. So we've tried to implement it strategically in that way. Have you spoken through it for, with the whole congregation? We've done bits and pieces of it. Um, but honestly, um, <laughs> I think personally, one of the problems with bigger is that it's probably too big. And so um, even getting through the material in a way that's helpful for everybody and having good conversation uh, in four weeks is is a difficult thing. So we've done bits and pieces. We've done some of sort of the concepts, sort of the 30,000 foot concepts and dug a little bit there. Um, I've done with some of the small groups in the church that are non-worship related. I've kind of gone in and, and done some four week sessions with them. And that's been really interesting because you get people all over the map with this stuff. And uh, so that can become a really fruitful time as well. Well, I know it was awfully fruitful for me. Sometimes I think we forget as, as worship musicians, as servants, like how important and how spiritual and how amazing this, this thing that we do is. And we mm -hmm. kind of lose that mystique and we lose that, that grandeur about it. And it becomes just, well, you know, I'm just kind of doing this thing. Right. Or we do the opposite and we decide that like what I'm doing is by far the most important thing. And we grand yeah. aggrandize ourselves rather than aggrandizing God in the process. And I thought that throughout this book, you just did such an amazing job of, of pointing to this is, this is what worship is. And this is a serious, serious matter. And then you, you know, you kind of work through it and you get to the details of it. And, but the details are so, they're so like couched, like right at the end of the book, you spend so much time on, on this is, this is what's, this is what's important. This is where our heart needs to be. Well done. Thank you so much, Wayne, for taking the time to talk with us. And thank you for taking the time to write this book. I think it's something that whether you've been in worship ministry for years and years and years, or whether you're just getting into it, I think there's so many solid points and so many just great places to just grab nuggets throughout the whole book. I thought the whole thing really had value. So thank you. Uh, absolutely. My pleasure. I appreciate it. And thankful for the opportunity to share a little bit. Man, where can I get a, a copy of that awesome audiobook? Well, we always post the podcasts over at worshipartistry.com slash green room. So you could just do a search for, you could probably search for Wayne. I don't think we have a lot of posts that involve somebody, somebody with the name Wayne. 
So you can just do a search for Wayne Stewart and this will come up and we'll have a link there so you can go check out the audiobook or if you prefer to like read with your eyes, you can do that as well. So awesome. we'll have a link over there and uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into some member mail. Hit it. Oh, you're getting so good at this. <laughs> Today's member mail comes to us from Cody from Central Ar- Arkansas. <laughs> Ar- Ar- I think that's how you say it. Arkansas. That's what I think. Yes. That's how yeah. South Africans say it. Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe it's somewhere in England. <laughs> um, and, and his uh, his 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 note says this. We have had the opportunity of traveling and leading worship over the last nine years. Over the years, we've also had the opportunity to mentor and invest in some local worship teams. Recently, we believe God gave us a vision to create a mentor program for musicians from local churches. We want to train and equip current and future worship leaders through musical and spiritual development. We have been doing some research on sites like yours, and we're looking for any sort of feedback, advice, warnings, anything that you could give us to help us move on in this journey. So they want to create a a worship mentoring program, it sounds like, for musicians. And he wants some advice, because obviously we know all about it. Exactly. <laughs> we might we might have we might have mentored a few thousand worship musicians at this point. It's truth. Somewhere in there. What do you think, Daniel? What are, what what kind of what kind of stuff do you, do we need to lay out for the for the lovely people of Central Arkansas? Well, I would say um, you know I'm actually good buddies with a guy called Aaron uh, Keys, and he actually has a. a a deal where people go and study their master's degree in 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 worship kind of um this kind of thing to where you want to be able to be a mentor to other folks and they do that themselves it's called Ten Thousand fathers you might want to check that out online uh, they're in atlanta and they basically have you come in for a couple of weeks at a time and study you know with them and spend time writing songs and it's a whole it's a whole deal uh, it's pretty cool to see but if you're just wanting to um you know use the resources you have and step out uh, i think one of the things you really need to be able to do is to have a thick skin because you know sometimes when you spend a lot of time with people they they kind of might they after all the work that you put in you might be let down um with people just not exactly following what you you know the great advice you give them or spending the the time that you spend with them and so you almost have to go once i've sowed these seeds it's up to the lord to to reap the harvest i can't keep my you know you can't carry your own weight and your own self-worth on how those people turn out when you spend time with them you just got to keep sowing and then keep watering and then uh, and just trust the lord with the rest yeah i think that's a great great thought yeah cody you know if there's one thing that i would say from like a leadership perspective i think having an open hand and an open heart and a willingness to grow and learn on your own like as as yourself as the leadership I think it's really important. I think it's important mm-hmm. for students to see you make mistakes and to know that you don't have everything figured out. I think anyone who's walking around saying, I have the answer, or I have figured this thing out is lying mm-hmm. or it's either lying or just doesn't know that they haven't blown it yet. <laughs> so, totally. so I think, you know, if you go come at it from a community perspective of like, we are all trying to improve here and we're trying to figure this out. I thought Wayne laid out some really great thoughts in his book that we talked about in the interview. But the more that you can just be open-handed and humble in your leadership and be willing to learn and be willing to share, I think, uh, I think will benefit you quite a bit in the long run. That's great. That's a great word, Jason. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking before I blundered along. <laughs> <laughs>
If you would like to be featured on Member Mail, we would actually love to hear from you. You can message us on Facebook at facebook.com slash worshipartistry. You can also email us over support at worshipartistry.com. You can uh, comment anywhere in the green room at worshipartistry.com, and we'll be happy to uh, answer you. We get we get all those, and we always go check them out and do our best to respond to those. And uh, please don't forget to give us a review in the iTunes store. It really helps us out. It's preferable if it's a nice one. So far, they've all been great. So uh, if we could keep that run going, that would be ideal. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, we're always looking for new voices to feature in our little ads because we love hearing from folks who are who are uh, benefiting from worshipartistry.com. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Catch you guys on the flip side. Whatever that means, I don't even know what that means.